All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. Okay, you guys, on the line, I've got my buddy Mike Swanson. And he's, of course, from wallstreetwindow.com. Sign up for his great email list there and learn all about what the hell's going on with the economy. And for years, you heard my ads for his great book, The War State, which is an awesome history of the Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy years there and the dawn of the national security state after World War II and all that. I just know you'll love it. And then uh, his latest book is called Why the Vietnam War, Nuclear Bombs and Nation Building in Southeast Asia, 1945 through 1961. And I'm so sorry, Mike, that I haven't read this yet, but I really want to. I know you believe me because it's true and I would never lie. I just haven't had a chance to stop and change gears to Vietnam in a while. But um, sure. one of these days, I'm going to take a lot of notes and I'm going to interview you for a long time about that thing. I know. Um, but anyway, uh, welcome to the show, Mike. How are you? <coughs> it was great to talk with you. It's, uh, it's I looked and we last uh, I think spoke in October and uh, <laughs> it's like every six months the market, the economy uh, goes into a hailspin tailspin that is yeah well hail too listen uh um, yeah i don't understand what's going on i know it's booming and busting at the same time basically is what it looks like to me but uh, you know when they talk about curves and yields and all of these different futures and stuff man i admit that i get lost because i don't have any money so what the hell do i know about these things but um it does seem to me like they had, uh, we were overdue for a bust and then they deliberately inflicted one in the form, not of interest rates, but of, um, the lockdowns. But then they made up for that by creating way more, even more money and leading to a much bigger, even inflationary boom. But then they got afraid because they inflated too much. So then they started raising the interest rates, but then that caused people to panic and uh, recessions to start kicking in certain sectors anyway. But then I think maybe they chickened out and decided that now they're going back to boom already because they're afraid of the bus, so they're going to keep inflating. But then uh, that's pretty bad too. But I probably got that wrong. So why don't you straighten me out? Well, um, yeah, they're really in a bind right now because – as you've described, I mean, it's a good description of what's transpired, uh, but they are caught kind of in a contradiction of having to fight inflation, while at the same time, there have been cracks in the financial system that have just appeared um, because of the failure of this uh, Silicon Valley bank. Um, it revealed that there were something wrong in the banking system. And they took extraordinary measures uh, to prevent uh, a broad-based uh, bank, bank, banking panic. Now, I'll tell you, I'm not an economist. <laughs> I'm a stock market 
former hedge fund manager. So I have a trader's mentality and that's what I look at. You know, I still trade money in the markets and, uh, but, uh, people like me, uh, will try to look at the past to try to compare what's going on now to, to previous eras and me and you and almost all your listeners, we have all lived through the 2000 bust, the 2008 bust, and we're accustomed to seeing uh, the Federal Reserve, lower interest rates, everything booms, and then it goes too crazy and they start to raise rates, then you get a bust. In a certain sense, that has been playing out, uh, not exactly like it did in those previous uh, bust cycles, but in 2020, as you pointed out, they lowered rates to zero. They engaged in all these stimulus programs. Um, I mean, this is quite amazing. And the stock market boomed similar to it did in the in 1999. You had the meme stocks, the rise of the Robin Hood person, um, and all of them have since been almost completely wiped out, um, just like the day trader was in, in 2000 and 2001. But this bear market cycle that uh, or bust cycle is really going a lot slower than those ones we lived through did and it's being accompanied by huge inflation the biggest inflation in my memory and uh, you have to really go back to the 1970s i believe to find a comparable time period and um that right now, you know, the news headlines are dominated by the failure of the Silicon Valley Bank, and um, the stock market did decline on, for a short period of time. And the Fed took these extraordinary measures, and there has been a blame game. Let's say um, I, in Congress, some of the Democrats are saying, "Oh, these banks haven't been regulated enough." Trump lowered the regulations. Um, Republicans, at least on Fox News, some of these networks were saying it was the management practice of the Silicon Valley Bank. But I think all that is not apt. You know, I think they're spinning this to the way they want. And uh, the cause of it uh, is, is um, what I really would like to try to explain. Um, so is in the 70s, there was high inflation, but if you look at the stock market, the sectors in it, um, gold, mining stocks, silver, energy stocks, uh, material stocks, they were the best performing sectors. However, bank stocks were among the absolute worst performing sectors. And what was funny was that they actually were making more revenue. Their revenue was growing, but the stocks were going down and the revenue was going up because as rates went up, they could charge more interest, you know, for people uh, that are taking loans out, uh, higher fees, uh, just as they are doing now. But the stocks went down anyway. And the reason why is because banks have balance sheets and on those balance sheets, you know, are bonds, uh, mortgages, securities and so forth and in 2008 the banking crash that occurred then 
that was caused by banks having these subprime securities um, that by 2007 were worth zero uh, in 10% approximately of the balance sheets of the major Wall Street investment banks was full of these things. The small regional banks weren't holding securities, you know, the subprime mortgages, uh, not, not at a, you know, not that much of them. So they kind of just didn't have any problems. And back then there was talk, oh, they should just let the big banks fail and let the small guys, uh, you know, continue to exist and, and do okay. Cause they weren't holding this junk. Well, now it's the small banks that have gotten in trouble or were in trouble. And what has happened is that it's similar, in my view, to the 1970s, and that's why it doesn't surprise didn't surprise me. But what has happened is that banks have to buy treasury bonds, um, and they and they make up the bulk of, of their balance sheet, and those are their assets. And then when they take a loan out, it's you know a debit on that balance sheet. Well, um, bonds uh, they go down in value when interest rates go up. Uh, and then they go up in value when interest rates go down. The, re- the reason why is if you, say, buy a CD and it pays 5% interest, well, if interest rates were to go up to 10%, that 5% interest just ain't that great anymore. And, and, and that would make the CD fall in value. The same thing happens with these treasury bonds. And what happened was over years, and particularly 2020, these local banks and banks all over the world, for that matter, uh, they were buying all these treasury bonds when rates were very low. And now that the rates have gone up over the past year and a half, the value of those bonds and, and subsequently their own balance sheets fell in in in, in, in their worth. Um, now there's a saying that in these bull markets and bear markets, it's like when the bear market comes, it's like looking at the ocean and the tide coming in, and now you see what was out there. Uh, you, you see the people when the tide comes in. Let's say there's people out in the in the ocean there uh, near the beach. And and you can't see, um, you can only see their chest. Well, when the tide comes in, now you see who's wearing uh, clothes and uh, isn't, so to speak. So the tide came in, and the most vulnerable uh, bank, uh, speculative bank, uh, as far as what it had, who it was lending to, and what happened to its balance sheet, you blew up basically, and that caused everyone to go then look and say, well, does my, my bank have a problem? And, 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 and so there is a, a, a risk in the 24, 48 hours after the failure at Silicon Valley Bank the other week that there could have been a, a, a broad-based <laughs> banking run across the whole, whole country. I went and looked at my own, uh, several of the local banks where I live, and their balance sheets had shrank by 5% uh, in the past 12 months. Um, well, the Fed stepped in and said, well, we're, do- we're doing an emergency lending program for all banks. If they need money uh, in order to pay depositors who want to take their money out, they don't have enough, they can now lend from us at a 0% rate 
uh, <laughs> and this program's good was good for 12 months, so it's still into effect. But all that's that's what's happened. Uh, the big news and um, quite remarkable. I mean, the Fed has never stepped in and said, "Here's this massive program for all banks," and it's pretty pretty wild. Uh, the stock market at the moment, you know, it, it's kind of going up a little. The one of the reasons why is that the Fed, because of what's happened, uh, economists know the Fed, and the Fed has said this that these banks are now in a position where they're going to be uh, less prone to lend out money. Uh, they may start to foreclose on people. They're going to basically tighten up. So that may constrict the uh, supply of new money coming into the economy. Uh, and, and that could start to have an effect pretty soon, within a month or two. Uh, so the Fed has had to fight inflation because we've had this annualized official CPI rate went over 9% the other year. And that's why they had to raise all these interest rates. And historically, inflation doesn't go down until the Fed funds rate gets above that annualized CPI rate, and it's still below it. Right. Uh, and and But as a re- result of this banking problem, they raised rates uh, two weeks ago, but announced that you know, we may not do it again. They use the word may. We may raise it at the next meeting, which is in May. And if they do, it'd most likely be the last rate hike. So they're at the end of the rate hiking cycle, this one that we've gone through. Um, and, and that, call, I would say, calls into question whether they're really going to be able to defeat inflation completely. I, I really doubt it. Uh, so, so that that's kind of a bind that we're in now. Yeah. So, in other words, if they wanted to, well, not in other words, what you just said is they'd have to raise the rate high enough so that it doesn't make sense for businesses to keep taking out loans anymore, right? That, um, right now, as long as you know, if you're uh, for whatever reasons you take out a loan, you're maybe not paying off. Uh, dimes for dollars but still you're beating inflation if the if they're not willing to raise the rate so high to really crush it so in other words that's the worst of the recession at least for now because they're going to are they going to start lowering rates and and do like new stimulus and all that or are they going to need to announce new qe234 to fulfill that program that you just talked about that announced they're going to make all these banks whole like, is it is the situation that bad? I mean, they've already no, they're, given they're them, not, like, uh, hundreds uh, of billions uh, of dollars or something, I read, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's it's hundreds, trillion, trillion uh, theoretically, <laughs> is is what's, you know, the loss of, the, of these banks in the value of these treasury bonds. But, no, they're not planning on doing another QE. Uh, to me, though, you know, I do think, the economy is likely to slow down a little bit. I'm not saying we're going into the Great Depression or something, but uh, any slowdown in the economy due to these banks simply, you know, tightening up on on lending, is likely to help the rate of inflation continue. It's been going down for six months, barely, but it it could 
help it to fall a little bit more and, and get it above the current Fed funds rate. If it does, the Fed would say this is a victory. But to me, the, the real problem is that, say, the economy does slow down, and at some point, you know, the stock market fell quite a lot last year. It hasn't given back, taken back those losses uh, yet, uh, and it could go down again. Uh, to me, the danger is that the economy and the markets do f- fade a bit before the end of the year, and then the Fed lowers interest rates uh, in response, and, and the bond market's actually forecasting that they will do that by the end of the year. Uh, but in my view, the danger is that after doing that, that all the inflation would just simply explode all over again. <laughs> and yeah. we just, I mean, I just think we're in a mess similar to, to the seventies. That's what happened. Then uh, rates would go up, you know, you have high inflation, they'd raise the interest rate uh, and it would get above the CPI rate for a short period of time. And then everything would just get slammed. The economy would just grind to a halt. They'd be lowering rates again. And uh, this, whole process would start over and it happened like four or five times until Volcker came in and, 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 you know, raised them up so high that, um, it was way above the rate of inflation and, and crushed things, so to speak. And that, but that caused a bear market in the stock market and a slowdown in the economy that lasted for two years. It didn't really end to 1982. So uh, (laughs) it's just a mess, I think, that we're in. And to me, it's a consequence of uh, not the Silicon Valley Bank and making stupid loans, but, you know, decades already of of crazy low-rate monetary policies um, that, uh, you know, overstimulated everything and made all these bubbles. Hey guys, Scott here for Leo Hamill Fine Jewelers out of San Diego at JewelryStoreSD.com. They do business nationwide. They sell jewelry and watches, specializing in engagement rings. You know, in case you're in love with somebody. They also specialize in one-of-a-kind vintage and antique jewelry, fully serviced pre-owned fine watches, such as Rolex, Patek, Philippe, Cartier, and any high-end brand. Leo's also services high-end watches faster and cheaper than going to a factory service center. Leo's takes all the stress out of shopping for jewelry and engagement rings, and always at the right price. They deal nationwide over the phone at 619-299-1500. That's Leo Hamill Fine Jewelers out of San Diego. Go to JewelryStoreSD.com to check out their fine selection and to find out more. Hey y'all, you should sign up for my Substack. It's scotthortonshow.substack.com. And if you do that, you'll get the interviews a day before everybody else. But not only that, they'll be free of commercials. How do you like that? Pretty good, huh? scotthortonshow.substack.com. Hey, y'all, libertasbella.com is where you get Scott Horton Show and Libertarian Institute shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and stickers and things, including the great Top Lobsters designs as well. See, that way it says on your shirt why you're so smart. Libertas Bella, from the same great folks who bring you ammo.com for all your ammunition needs, too. That's LibertasBella.com. Now, so back a couple years ago when the banks were buying all these bonds at these low rates, did they know that, geez, once all this inflation hits and they raise rates, we're going to be sitting on all these worthless bonds, but oh well, 
we don't have to worry about that because we know that the government will create more money and bail us out. Well, uh, <laughs> um, I'll tell you, I don't know. Well, okay, the banks where I live at, I have a friend that was on the board of directors of one of them. And he quit like a year ago or maybe a year and a half ago and asked me if I wanted to, to try, you know, maybe give me a chance to get on there and take his place. I, I think you get paid like 2000 a quarter or something. And, you know, I would have the, before he quit, um, he, <laughs> I would ask him these questions, you know, what do they think about the, all these bonds? Because he didn't, he believed that they would fall in value. Uh, eventually, because of inflation blowing up, as has happened. But he just said these people, they just feel like they have no choice but to buy these bonds. And to do anything different risks making what would be a catastrophic career mistake because no other bank's doing it. <laughs> and treasury bonds are the safest thing you, know, you can buy. Uh, they're backed by the government, safest in theory. The risk is inflation uh, to them when you buy them when rates are zero. But to these people, there's no, they had no other choice. Uh, they're not like central banks that are going out with the ability to buy currencies and you know gold, gold and put this on the balance sheets too. All they can buy is different mortgages uh, or different bond, mortgages can be bonds too, but different you know bond type securities. So the only choice they can make. Um, is how long the bonds were in duration. Just, you know, 90-day bonds, one-year bonds, two-year bonds. And then at the same time, whereas making them shorter term would be how you deal with this this inflation risk or the risk of them falling in value. But they're mandated to own own all these treasury bonds too. So they're kind of just like stuck Trapped and they can't really do anything differently. And I was like, well, I don't, what, what, you know, I don't, I'm not an economist, and what am I going to do? Go to go on the, go on a board and, and be telling these people that this is all going to blow up one day. And so <laughs> that that's it's just a groupthink, I guess. I don't. Yeah. All right. So there's been a lot of hype lately about the world turning away from the dollar. And the last time that they talked about this a lot was about 10 years ago. And I know there are people who think that this is what caused America to pull the trigger on Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi. Not sure if I buy that, but it sure may have played into the motives against them that they wanted to diversify out of the dollar. And they say that, you know, we got off the gold standard, got on the oil standard, and the Saudis promise to always denominate all their sales in dollars and then to spend all their profits on U.S. debt and this kind of thing. And then, but now they're all turning away from the dollar. But the last time they were talking about this, the answer seemed to be that, yeah, turn away from it toward what? And they said, well, well, we'll put together a market basket of this and that other kind of, we'll have rubles and wands and different things. And then it turned out that most of the central banks in the world at the time still, I guess, preferred dollars. But then now that they're talking about it again, they're saying, yeah, but that's really changing. And everybody's diversifying out of the dollar because the empire is 
going down in flames. And now it's the rise of the BRICS and all their friends and the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and all of these things. And they're going to figure out a new currency to keep in their vaults instead of dollars. And that then, I guess, so one, is there any truth to that? Or what is the truth to all of that? And then two, if you really think that that's a problem, does that mean a full crack-up boom and all those dollars come floating home and then we have inflation up in the absolute catastrophic percentages or am I riding off the rails here or what's the deal? Well, I, I, I'm, first of all, I'll say like what you said, people used to say the dollar was no, you know, was going to fall in value. It was going to be displaced on, on the, you know, as, as the reserve currency of the world, mm-hmm. you know, in the 2000s, early 2000s, you know, that's when I was learning about this kind of stuff. And that was a commonplace view. And one thing I learned, you know, recently in the past couple of years that this wasn't just a view of what I'm seeing on the internet, you know, uh, libertarians or alternative financial media people, but this was actually the view of a lot of the central banks. Uh, I read a book by a former governor of the Bank of England, and he said this is what people, what they believed was going to happen, and, and it didn't uh, happen. <laughs> uh, that's then. Um, now, the and, and at the time, the head economist, I think of Morgan Stanley, was predicting that you know the dollar was going to take a big like twenty percent hit and so forth. Uh, but uh, I'm convinced there's a you know I'm, I'll give you the exact figures of this in a minute. But there's a Ray Dalio came out with a book that got real popular last year called The Changing World Order, and it's looking at the history of empires. Has lots of charts in it. And what happened, you know, one of the things it looks at is what happened with the reserve currencies of all these things. Going back to the Dutch Empire, the Spanish Empire, after that, the, the British Empire and ours. And all of them had, at, at one time, they were, those previous empires, they had the reserve currency. So the British pound was, was the reserve currency of the world really before World War One. Now, what's interesting is that the way this these countries lost their reserve currency status was it happened slowly over decades. It didn't just like happen overnight in a sudden crash. So the pound lost that reserve status from really World War One to about 1960, really in, in a slow manner. Um, just kind of erode. What happens is the this reserve currency it becomes the currency that it's not simply that central banks are holding it, but that it's being used to do all the transactions in the global economy. It's the, the, it's, you know, uh, so our currency displaced it, um, starting, it did it slowly from World War One, and then it just completely took off and we displaced it really during World War Two and, and Bre- in the Bretton Woods system. And even with the sort of failure of that Bretton Woods system in the 70s, the dollar still wasn't displaced. So the Dahlia book, it, he, he's asserting that we're slowly, we're going to go through the same thing, and it's just going to take decades for the dollar to get displaced as, as the most important 
currency being used around the world. And it appears that that's starting to happen. I mean, the, the, the war in Russia has probably helped speed that up. Uh, China is trying to, you know, use less dollars than they were in the past. Russia can't now. Uh, so those are just two examples and other countries see this and, you know, Iran's obviously can't use U S dollars too. Now I'm looking at a chart that has, uh, the U S dollar share of global reserve currencies. And in 2014, it was 66%. And, and at the end of last year, it was 60%. So it's, it's slowly fallen, uh, by this chart by about 10% over eight years. Um, so I, I would stand, I, I would use that model to, to figure out what's going to happen. That it's just a slow, slow process. It'll, take decades and and i don't know you know is really the one gonna take its place as, as that reserve currency or is it just going to be a bunch of them floating around together so there isn't really one dominant one that may be the more likely scenario that sounds it seems more like likely world. to me i mean really every government has the same problem as the u.s government mm -hmm. right is all they know how to do is print money so that's the same for the Russians and the same for the Chinese and the same for Singapore and everybody else, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and this, what I was talking about earlier with, with this banking problem in the United States, <laughs> that Silicon Valley Bank failed on a Friday and they bailed out our, announced this program to backstop all the banks over the weekend. And then a day or two later, all the banks in Europe crashed. So they had the same problem. Yeah, so all these problems is not just the U.S. It's 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 definitely a, a global uh, thing going on. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I mean, I could see that. I I I have the same emotion about turning my back on the American Empire. I could see why, you know, people all over the world feel that way. But uh, you know, I remember Robert Higgs. I asked him years ago, uh, the libertarian economist about mm -hmm. all this about you know the oil standard propping up the dollar and all that and he said yeah you know really since world war ii it's not that the dollar's great we we're right when we complain about how inflationary it's been this whole time but compared to what and compared to the rest of the world if you're a central banker or just a major banker somewhere where you don't have gold bars, you keep wads of $100 bills because other currencies are more likely to get devalued in larger percentages sooner. Not that it's perfect, but and I'm paraphrasing very roughly here, but they, they all have all these built-in problems with them. So it doesn't make the dollar great, but it just means that, you know, if, if you are, you know, in that position where you got to hold however many billions of dollars or hundreds of billions of dollars in reserves for your sovereign government of what currency you're going to denominate it in, you know, you kind of don't really have any choice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you really don't. Um, <laughs> to me though, the, the thing is, as an investor, I guess, is to try not to have as many, it's, it's difficult. We're to, it's almost like there are no good investments. <laughs> you know, uh, I <laughs> think people might right be now. puzzled, Mike, why gold and silver and other metals aren't doing way better in these times. Is the game rigged there? No, I don't. I don't think it's 
rigged. Um, they since, I mean, they're not going to the moon. Uh, silver's still under thirty dollars, but since the start of, let's say, the, past, the over the past two years, they are outperforming the stock market. Um, so, I mean, they're acting better than just about. They might be the best performing thing at the moment. Hmm, okay. uh, over the past six months, they are. That's good. All right. Well, so when can we expect the next shitcoin bubble? Right. I want my Doge coins to go to thirty-five cents. I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm someone that's skeptical that you know of, of everything they say about the crypto coins, but when I look statistically, they have the closest trading relationship to the NASDAQ. Um, like you can track, you can just do a statistical analysis of how closely something moves with something else. So when the NASDAQ goes up, they tend to go up. When the NASDAQ goes down, they go down. So last year, you know, the crypto coins crashed. I mean, they were fell worse than the NASDAQ. Now they're rallying. Uh, and the NASDAQ's been rallying since uh, around – since New Year's, really. Uh, so they may go up a little more, um, but I don't know if they'll ever go to a you – know, I don't know if Bitcoin's ever going to a million or, or whatever. Might go back to 67 <laughs> again. Let's hope that. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. Seriously, man. Um, I need a new catalytic converter. Um, not that mine got stolen. It's just rattling. Hey, uh, it, it's, it's 25, 27 years old. Hey, um, 28. Um, what else is I going to ask you? Oh yeah. So, but then I guess, um, on the, uh, back to the, um, slow kind of, uh, move away from the dollar. Does that mean we're going to avoid a crack up type boom where, all those dollars come flying back at once and our economy's decimated. I, I would say, I, I, yeah, I, I think the odds of that are, are low, uh, that there's just like going to be this hyperinflation sort of situation. Well, what do you think about the idea that kind of one morning the animal spirits get to the central bankers and they all start uh, panicking and selling their dollars to try to beat everybody else? Or all their government debt, and then that just destroys the currency. Well, I, I, I tell you, that was one of the interesting things about last year when when the war in Russia started. Um, it wasn't clear what how the United States was actually going to react, or, or NATO for that matter, or, or Europe. Um, and I mean, honestly, it appeared to me the first hours of the war, we may not have been doing – well, let me put it this way. Right when the war started, or the days leading up to it, the weekend leading up to it, there are articles uh, coming out of Germany basically saying that they shouldn't do as harsh of sanctions uh, as they ended up doing. And supposedly the story was that someone in the Biden administration on the National Security Council, I forget the guy's name, but he got together with someone at the European Union and they, they planned all these harsh sanctions out that um, had the effect of completely locking Russia out of the SWIFT banking system. 
that was what the Germans are saying. Don't do that. It's too extreme. So we basically made it so all those banks on the that the Russian Central Bank owns cannot sell them. Um, <laughs> now, I heard reference. I was. I mean, it was. I was shocked that they went that far, and I heard reference on a podcast where someone, you know, right after this, someone, and I, I couldn't verify this though, but they said that there was a government, a U.S. government report, the Defense Department study that advocated doing that on the basis that this would prevent the Russians from selling the dollars or the debt that they own that that's, you know, U.S. treasuries. Huh. So it would, and an argument was that well, this isn't the, the guy doing the talking about this was saying this isn't really about Russia. This is about China. We're st- we've basically sterilized and prevent the Chinese from using the bonds that the, the American treasuries they have as a weapon against us by doing. We could, in theory, do just exactly what we did to them and, and make it so they can't sell them. So that that would be uh, that makes complete sense, and that that's an answer to <laughs> your question. Man, crazy! All right, well, listen, um, I got to run, dude. I'm sorry, I'm out of time here, but oh, uh, sure. thanks so much for doing the show again, and um, thanks for making me worry a lot about the short, medium, and long term future of America. As always, <laughs> well, it's a mess. It's no doubt about it. <clears throat> Everyone knows that. Uh, tried to warn them at least, so we got that going for us. <laughs> Thanks, man. Good talk with you. The Scott Horton Show, Anti War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSRadio.com, AntiWar.com, ScottHorton.org, and LibertarianInstitute.org.